Hey there, people out there! Thank you for joining us on the official second episode for Renaissance 2. Today we will be joined by the amazing Lars, and since you know this channel is all about opinions, today we will discuss several approaches to contemporary music compared to old music. And on top of that, we're also gonna talk about why music could maybe be used as a cultural weapon. Who knows? But we're also gonna move on to highlighting what ideas are hidden behind tracks and all. So if there are fresh new ideas, or if they have been obtained of society, and on top of that, we're gonna end up talking about pop eyes. So yes, or anything better than that. Well, join us, and you'll find out. Welcome to Renaissance Two, Episode Two. I feel like mostly it's music from the fifties, from the sixties. Examples? What kind of musicians? It's for example, it's a lot of like jazz music. It's like Ella Fitzgerald, for example, or Billie Holiday. I feel like their music contains and conveys messages that, like nowadays, music just lacks. Such as, like, how could you exemplify it? Is it an explicit message or implicit? It's more like an implicit because, of course, you kind of have to pack this in the music.、Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't have to. It can't be too obvious, right? But for example.、Um, Billie Holiday had that song called "Strange Fruit,"、uh, and it is actually a song about the persecution of black people and、um, their their sufferings in the United States. And it was about a strange fruit, but everybody knew what it was about. And for example, I feel like nowadays music kind of lacks big messages it tries to convey. And sometimes I feel maybe because it's we, to the most extent, live in. Societies where you don't need any big messages anymore, where there is not no need for it. But on the other hand, I feel like this makes it less interesting. For me, music is not a political debate, right? It's a、um, it conveys messages, but like like also in a very artistic way. So therefore, it has to be like a bit like a closeted message.、Hmm. It can't be too direct because you know it would take away the. So music has to be elaborate. Do you do you believe in music having to be complex and like something with a lot of layers? Yes, definitely. So that it can be called music, because if not, it feels too simplistic. No, see, I I just feel like everything like you can、mm-hmm. do is more or less music. Like、I'll、play an instrument, sing some nice lines to it, and that is music. But like the music that catches me has to have like many layers. And has to convey like a very certain message. What an example is I'm like giving pretty often is, for example,、um, Tony Bennett's song "Boulevard of Broken Dreams." It's actually a song from the '30s from a from a music play.、Um, it was a pretty big song, and、um, yeah, it is about people parting their life away. And I feel like this music, like, just have a thought about it. It's from 1929, actually, if I'm not mistaken, and. It's just as applicable to Berlin, for example, today. People parting their lives away, wasting like their lifetime, the quality time they would have, and the next day they still find themselves in a party somewhere on, like you know, in the clubs of Berlin. And on the other hand, you had a crashing song、um, in which the main line was, "I crashed my car into a bridge." And I feel like those two messages, like the Boulevard of Broken Dreams and、um, I crashed my car into a bridge, I feel like there are like worlds in between those two. 
taking into consideration that it is about expressing a very basic or vital human behavior, why do current songs, contemporary songs, lack what this song has? Because you know, Just Dance, Gonna Be Okay, Lady Gaga is the same, right? It's about also crashing your car against a bridge. It's just about wasting your life and not thinking about the next day. Well, up till the beginning of 2020, I would have said is because our society, like our Western world society, right? Like our white mm. privileged world, mm. um, doesn't have those kind of issues and conflicts and crises as, for example, 1929. I mean, we also had a financial crisis, but like you couldn't compare it to 1929, right? When like half of America was basically unemployed and um, people were committing suicide because they had nothing to eat. And um, so that's what I feel. I, I feel like we're just doing too well. Hmm. And even if, for example, I feel like, I feel like people 70 or 80 years ago when they were singing, they were singing really from the bottom of their heart. Now they're singing because they have a contract with their label. I mean, bad guy, Billie Eilish, went viral, but I find the song quite boring. Mm. It's very plain. It has no developments, you know, like I'm, I'm listening to it for a minute and nothing changes. And this makes it a bit boring. So you feel like it's empty of substance, for example? Empty of substance, yeah, and um, also like in terms of like voices, like we're talking about singers, right? Mm. Musicians, you have a voice, show it, do something with it. Mm. Because I don't feel like everybody should, you know, see him or herself as a singer. So I feel like if you have a voice, mm -hmm. then show it. Mm -hmm. And for example, Billie Eilish, I mean her song... Well, the thing is, I do think that when it comes to voices, for example, in my personal opinion, I do think that Billie Eilish, she has an amazing voice, not because she can reach like a very high pitch or whatever, mm -hmm. or because she can, like she's not Sia, for example, mm -hmm. and Sia is an incredible Sia is amazing, yeah. However, I do think that her voice can express vulnerability in an amazing way in the case of Billie Eilish. And like, not in the case of Bad Guy, because Bad Guy is such a synthetic, artificial, even close to robotic song. It's like a very emotionless song. Yeah, but like, it's it's a song which has caught like millions of people. Sure. That's what what's giving me the opinion that, okay, if those are the kind of songs which are like loved by millions, it means that our, that this is what our society has to say. Oh, okay. Well, but do you think people are listening even to the lyrics? Because, for example, Billie Eilish has like thousands of fans in Asian countries. For example, in Korea, she has a lot of fans, right? And although, of course, the Korean population knows English, the majority of my Korean friends, they wouldn't really pay attention to the lyrics. Mm -hmm. They were just like, oh, this melody is not only catchy, but we've heard it everywhere. So it becomes a cultural phenomenon even before they understand why it has become a cultural phenomenon. So do you think that um, bestsellers and, you know, chart breakers reflect what our society thinks? Or do you think it's just about the speed of the beats, for example, like a way more technical reason behind the, the instrumentals? That's a good question. I don't think I can answer it. <laughs> For example, t like taking the example of my, my father, right? Who grew up in the Soviet Union, he didn't know any English, but he was a big fan of Pink Floyd, Deep Purple, like all that kind of like, you know, That's so interesting. bad guys back then. Although he didn't speak any, like my father didn't understand any English, but for him, 
like rock music and the texts, and he kind of knew the message of it. They were like a sign of freedom. So I think from this example, I would say that it both actually plays together the beats, but also the lyrics. And it's really interesting because, you know, the generation of my parents, like in Spain, they didn't really speak English. Like I feel it is with millennials, with that generation, that they firstly start having like some decent grammar basis for English or whatever. And that's when they start like really understanding songs and so on. Or at least that's my perception. It might be biased. For example, my mom, she likes Bruce Springsteen, but she doesn't understand the word. And my dad, he he used to overplay like again and again when he was young. I never got to hear that CD, but he told me about it. A Donna Summer CD. Donna. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I love Donna Summer. Yeah, my dad is epic, basically. Um, so um, he just had this Donna, Su Donna Summer CD. I cannot remember the name of it, but it, it included like... Looking for some hot stuff. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it included hot stuff and it also included uh, Feel Love. Uh, I yeah. feel love. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah, which are basically like anthems, which are like timeless anthems, whatever. But the thing is that my, neither, like just as what you mentioned with your dad, my dad, he didn't speak English. Mm -hmm. So, however, he felt, he just felt empowered, he felt moved, he just felt like it triggered something in him. So I do think that there is a science behind sounds. And I do think there is a, there, there are certain formulas. Like that I know, like I know that there might be books on that, on how the speed of beats. Actually, I heard, I've got to, I really have to, um, look for more information, but I heard that there is a certain speed of beat that very naturally resonates with us because it's similar to a natural speed in our body. And I don't remember which one it is, but it has to do even with our heartbeat or ah, I can't really remember what where it stems from. But I do think that there are certain patterns that naturally resonate with us. I don't know, that's why it triggers a certain reaction in, in us. You know? If we look back to the 70s or 80s, what was the time then? Like, what was the societal uh, situation? We had the Iron Curtain, right? So the West was living in fear, but also the East was kind of like, you know, Eastern Europe, Western Europe. The whole world was in the, like, chaos. True. Let's put it this way. Yeah. Um, we had the Vietnam War in the True. late 60s, right? Yeah. Beginning of 70s. And you had a lot of songs about it. A lot of songs that demanded peace and people could identify with those songs. You mean like with the hippie movement? Yeah, for example, the hippie movement. And um, and then you, of course, had the song. Um, oh my God, what's it called? Pink Floyd uh, and the wall. Break in the wall? Um, we'll we find out. Need, no, da, 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 da. You know what I mean? So... And I feel like those were the songs that people could identify with because it was actually it was actually the struggles people were going through at that moment. So and for my father, he said like rock music it was it was not forbidden in the Soviet Union, but it was also like you wouldn't listen to it loudly, like you would try to, you know. Oh. Um, because it was yeah, because it was American, um, an Amer a product of America, and you know that was the enemy pretty much, but. He said, he told me that that kind of music, um, Pink Floyd and Deep Purple, especially for him, they symbolized freedom. And freedom is what people desired in the Soviet Union because they were living, you know, in a communist dictatorship. Yeah, I just think that's such an interesting topic because 
For example, I spent some time in Korea, right? And for Korea, well, you know, K-pop because of how you like that Korean wave. It has become really big, and and I'm a big fan of it. Like it really, like their EDM productions, they really resonate with me. Although at the beginning I couldn't understand anything about the language, but there was something about this concoction of like um, careless attitudes with this very up-tempo beat. It just felt so vivid. It just felt so overstimulating. It just had so much, right? Um, and to be honest, the majority of songs they usually like if we take a look at like very canonical. K-pop anthems—they're about being happy, right? And it's funny what you said about you know the Soviet Union not welcoming American groups, because what I heard is that in the past, well, or maybe in the present—I don't know—they used to play K-pop songs in the borders between North Korea and South Korea, because there it was really? like it was like a soft propaganda weapon in order to, like, underlyingly transmit to the North, this is how happy we are in the in the South. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So what I heard is that uh, they actually played K-pop in the TMZ and um, speakers, so that people, the soldiers from the north, would listen to it, and they would feel the necessity of you know visiting the south. Like they would basically um, think of the south as an ideal place to go to. <clears throat> so yeah, I think that that example contains symbolically a principle that could be applied to a lot of songs out there. Do you think music does? Indirectly and maybe unconsciously, but somehow underlyingly, fulfill a brainwashing mission. And I'm not necessarily speaking about like you know Illuminati, um, <laughs> but I'm just speaking about the fact that there is, there has always been a weird, well not a weird, but a two-sided relationship between culture and people, right? Like it's. People creating culture, but also culture and um, influ- influencing, pe- influencing people. Mm-hmm. So it's like a constant feedback, like a symbiosis between mm-hmm. two sides. However, don't you think that if you include some ingredients into culture, into music, people will absorb it, and it will become a natural thing that they will feed back into music again? Actually, no. I mean, I think. I mean. Maybe this is a point, but it's but it is like a not intentional point. But I think what we are missing often to understand is that you know before a society, we take a society as a whole, voices something or expresses something as a whole, people make up their minds and don't speak up for or speak it out for a long time. Hmm. And then music is like the perfect medium. To convey those messages, for example, talking about the Vietnam War, mm. or talking about the um, breaking the wall from Pink Floyd, mm. or talking about Strange Fruit from Billie Holiday, mm. um, the discrimination of Black people. I mean, I don't have to to, mm-hmm. to tell you, or mm-hmm. it's been going on for like centuries in the mm-hmm. United States, and then you have somebody who like voices it through music, and then mm-hmm. it actually again flashes back on the people, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh my god, that's so true. Mm-hmm. Even if we talk about, like, mm, Sam Smith and Troy Saban mm-hmm. again, homophobia, it's not a new thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, before a society as a whole was ready mm-hmm. to bring out a song, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, somebody was comfortable enough to voice that song, mm-hmm. people have made up their minds for a long time. 
So you feel like the thoughts, the ideas, they are already within society. Yeah. They're just waiting for the right moment to pop out. Yeah, because it's it's not new ideas, right? Like we had like philosophers for like thousands of years coming、True. up with ideas, and now if you read about like all the contemporary stuff going on politically, societally,、um, it's actually you know all. Ideas kind of reversed or seen through another perspective or applied to something else, but like still old ideas, like revisited. Yeah, true. But what I'm trying to say is, okay, I'm gonna put an example. Um, yes. Let's say, um, what I'm trying to explain by saying that you could reverse the process is that, okay, let's just conceive a creative process as in. Organic sequence of events where basically you are inspired by something you see and you project it onto your art, and then people are like, "Oh yeah, I can resonate with this." So, for example, imagine that you are, for example, if we think about Tom and Jerry, yeah, that's a very, if you think about it, it's a very organic, logical, artistic output, like. If you're, I don't know, back in the day, you were a working class person, you were living in a farm or whatever, and you saw animals, right? And you saw that the cat and the and the little mouse were like, you know, hiding from each other and like、uh, chasing each other, blah blah blah. Then I guess it's very natural to be like, oh, that that's funny, the concept of these two animals chasing each other, and then I project it into my artistic output, right? So this feels like a very natural process. Then、yeah. it comes on TV. People understand what that dynamic is about because everyone can resonate with it, and it's like, oh, I've lived that too, and then it becomes a cultural phenomenon where, you know,、um, you get inspired by reality, you project it into art, people resonate with it, and then they feedback that whole process, and they confirm it, right?、Mm-hmm. The audience, right? However, let's talk about other classic cartoons, Popeye,、mm-hmm. or what we call in Spain, Popeye. Popeye. What he did basically is, in order to save the girl, in order to kick the ass of the bad guys, he would get strong by pressing a can of spinach, and then he would swallow the spinachs, and then he would get like this magical strength. Yeah. Does it ring a bell? Sure. Let's say yes. Okay. Yeah. Like he basically.、Um, yeah. He would just like swallow those vegetables, and then he would get like those giant muscles. Yeah. 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 And he was just able to deal with anything. Well, truth be told, from what I've heard, it was demonst- it was proved that it was like the association of espinac farmers of the U.S. that basically, you know, had a meeting and paid media outlets to create a cartoon that would encourage children to eat spinach. So basically,、mm-hmm. it was some kind of. It was a PR stunt. It was like basically improving the reputation of spinach,、okay. making it cool for children,、mm-hmm. so that they would believe that if they ate spinach, they would just be as cool as Popeye. They would kick the ass of the bad guy and they would save the girl. So this is for me. This is a process of non-artific, like non-natural art, non-organic,、mm-hmm. like in an artificial way, yeah, 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 impulsed by a capitalistic、um, attempt. They introduce an idea that's not organic into an artistic piece, and then it becomes popular because sometimes because of the vehicle, like basically because of mass media. Because when you see something on mass media, in it automatically gets becomes credible、mm-hmm. because we tend to believe that whatever we see on you know TV or a newspaper, it already has a certain degree of truth, although we don't know anything、yeah. about it, right? So yeah. 
Do you think with music you can do the same? You can introduce an idea that's not natural, that it's basically, you know, the input of another intention, of another... I think I got your point. I feel like you could do that, but in my opinion it wouldn't be... it wouldn't be convincing. It wouldn't be good music. See, the examples I told you, like, this is all my subjective, like, my own opinion. The music that I really like is mostly music that actually comes from the heart of a person. And if it's, like, fake music, like, let's just put what you explained to me in the long way, like, just in the term of fake music, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't convince the, the, the people. But the thing is that when you say this comes from the heart, okay, this is like a euphemism, it's like a poetical way of saying, but, you know, the heart doesn't express emotions, it's basically our brain. And our brain would... What we do with our brains, even without noticing it, is that we we try to decode reality, right? Mm -hmm. And in order to decode reality, we do it following a certain set of preconceptions that we already have. And this is how we understand the world, right? So my question is, even if your music comes from the heart, which means comes from your interpretation from reality, if you have grown up with a set of preconceived ideas that were imposed by the external world, then your prism, the way you see the world, and the ideas that will come from your heart will already be biased. They will already be conditioned by the code through which you interpret reality, right? So what I'm trying to say is, um, the line between something coming from the heart and something being fake, it's really thin, because at the end of the day, um, the ideas that you believe come from your heart might have been imposed by society without you noticing it. But they are so deep ingrained in you that they yeah, come from yeah. your heart. No, you, you have a point. I just never really thought about it. <laughs> I guess it's, it's just, it just feels better <laughs> to think about society not being a, the result of a decades-long manipulative exercise, right? It just feels better to think, oh, things do come from our heart. Sure. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it feels good. But, you know, the thing is, um, why well, I'm having such a hard time right now, like, um, oh getting friend no. with this idea is because music has always had something like protest. A protest against something. Okay. So if you, like, either it was social inequality or it was, um, I don't know, the fight. Injustice. Injustice, for example, right? Political injustice. It has always been, music has always been a, an instrument of, of a fight. And here I don't see a fight. Like, oh. what can I say? For example, a lot of music comes from the US, right? Right. And the US, it's basically like, well, you know, just like, like also in Europe, we're part of the West world. And in the West, our societies are based on capitalism, right? So capitalism capitalism is like that wheel of money that can only keep existing if we keep on feeding it with more money, right? Mm -hmm. So there are studies that reflect that if we check series in the US or songs in the US or whatever, there is a tendency towards portraying cool people as people who have money, but without making it explicit. For example, if we just think about traditional Disney Channel sitcoms, they just have these very big houses with these very big rooms. They come into the breakfast mm -hmm. and they have like all of these plates full of pancakes and strawberries and mm -hmm. so on. They just have a lot of money and they don't even mention it. This It's part of the background. It's part of normal life. Yeah, so normalizing yeah. high standards, although this requires an enormous sacrifice 
of lifetime and life quality just to get that amount of money to live up to that standard. Like the fact that people are willing to sacrifice so much of their lifetime to work, work, mm. work in order to get that much money, in order to get access to what they consider respectable or cool, which is that um, life level, that's because it's deeply ingrained in them. So I do think that the idea of only being cool if you live in a certain way that can only be achieved through money, it's an artificial idea because it has nothing to do with from my biased and of course ignorant and young point of view it's simply no, but see it's also a ref- reflection of our like um historical development of society like you always wanted to achieve that like you always you were aiming for like getting rich or like getting enough money to like you know feed yourself and the uh, like and your family true like i do think it it also comes from a principle of survival and evolution which is really natural and to strive for the best right however what i'm trying to say is i don't think that you can put fully artificial ideas into that wheel of culture mm. but what i think is that you can boost or you can maximize ideas which already exist in society so basically you cannot convince people about the fact that all of you are aliens however If you take a look at ideas that already exist in society, you can boost some and you can pay zero attention to others. And by depending on the degree of visibility you give on certain ideas, then some other ideas will become more credible or just more real mm. due to the fact that they have been repeated many yeah, more times. For example, <laughs> um, actually this does connect with, with the... You remember the thing I was talking saying about like the Iron Curtain, the Vietnam War and stuff, those ideas already existed and through songs they were like boosted. Oh, to be honest, can you define the Iron Curtain better because... The, oh, the Iron Curtain? Like I know what it was is, like but the, I feel like <laughs> I need was more... The, was the division between like the West and the East, um, like Eastern Europe and the Western world, like Eastern Europe starting here in Berlin, East Berlin, and the Soviet Union, its satellite states, the communist republics, and the free democratic world, of course, as I may say, mm-hmm. in the West. It's a careful attempt to, to, you know, try something out, to see where the limits are, to see how people will react to it. If you do it explicitly, it will lose its charm, right? As you said before. True. But if you do it, like, in a careful, hidden, a little sneaky, but like, you know, positively sneaky way... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the art of marketing. Right? True. It was so nice of you that you decided to join me on this this conversation so yeah just thank you for your time and for yeah i don't know your idea you for having me <laughs> you're so cool you just know so many things um yeah again thank you